So, Auntie. Mm, yes. The year kicked off with a very unfortunate event, which was the inauguration. Mm. He discussed the size of his crowd at the inauguration. Uh, Do you remember this? Well, no. The one thing that I, as Whoopi Goldberg says, the new man in the White House, she won't call him by name. Mm -hmm. Some people just call him 45. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even give him a number. He doesn't deserve a number either. I'll give him a number. Zero. Good for you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, honey. I don't know why he can't stop going backwards Mm -hmm. and talking about past presidents when some of them left our country in fine shape. Mm Mm-hmm. But they had a dignified way of talking. He's like a teenager, a third grader. Mm-hmm. How can you pick on all these people in the United States and not everyone has to thank you? Mm-hmm. He's How, completely insecure. He's a completely insecure man. We're feeding into his ego. He likes the news to be talking about mm-hmm. him. Well, and he watches it, too, he's, at night to see. Now, That's I'll where he tell you, his... take that goddamn fucking tweet thing away from him. How does my president talk to me that way? Because mm-hmm. I would rip him right old. out of his goddamn small hand. <laughs> hey, yum's the word, haven't you heard? The yum's the word, it was started by a bird. My name is Robin. And her hair has lots of curls. Actually, I blow it out a lot. Two stories, some awkward. Like wetting the bed next to your boyfriend. Pretty funny and absurd. Like your boss tickling your side boob. So welcome all you nerds. And cool people, too. This is for everyone. Except kids. Yum's the word. Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome to Yum's the Word. I'm Robin Gelfenbein. And I'm Alex Fulton. And at the top, you heard Auntie in rare form. I have seriously never heard her swear so much in my entire life, and she did not stop there. We've got more from Auntie and the funny way she lets out her anger against Trump a little bit later in the episode. Now, as you may have noticed, we've been on a little hiatus over here, and we are pumped to be back. Are you fired up, Alex? Fired up. Word. So ready. Yes. Season two. That's right. Season one, 40-something episodes. Season two, episode one. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Season two, episode one out of eight episodes. (laughs) Maybe ten. It's a new year. We're in a new studio. We've got new episodes, new stories, and we are fired up. Pumped. Pumped. Now, it is almost the one-year anniversary of Trump's inauguration. Here we go. And the one-year anniversary of the Women's March. Yes. And today's episode is connected to both of those events. That's right. We are featuring two stories from our November show, which fell exactly a year after the election. Naturally, the theme of the night was I Scream stories from the Trump era. And believe me, those stories were doozies. And we'll feature a few more in our next episode. But first up is Deva Krauss. Deva has been featured on the TV series House and on Risk. This is her story about how her right-wing father felt when she attended the Women's March last year. Um, So I grew up in Philadelphia, in a suburb outside of Philadelphia, and um, I went to an all-girls school for 13 years, K through 12. And my parents uh, uh, sent me there. And um, we were basically bred to be feminists from day one. Um, no joke, we once had an assembly on how to give a handshake. 
For, if you would like to know, it's web to web, web to web, firm, with eye contact. Okay, so you're never going to meet a Baldwin girl that gives you one of these. Okay, handshake. Um, and, uh, you know, we were taught to be doctors, not marry doctors. Um, every single one of my teachers was a female except for one history teacher who took a year off of paternity leave and wore wool socks with Birkenstocks. And this was like in the 90s, so it was, you know, he was, one of the, he was very crunchy. Um, and every year, um, we, as a school, this was a fun activity. We reenacted the Seneca Falls Convention, which I don't know if you guys. Uh, yeah. Some people have prom. We have Seneca Falls. Okay. Good times, everybody. So um, my parents sent me there not because uh, it was a very feminist uh, place necessarily, but because it was rated the number one school in Philadelphia for like getting your kid into an Ivy League school. That's why they sent me there. Um, and. Um, so yeah, so um, cut to uh, before the election, um, uh, not before the election, uh, after the election, uh, on Facebook, the Women's March. I see the Women's March. And the first thing I think of, of course, is Seneca Falls. And, um, and I'm interested. I'm interested in going. A lot of my friends I know are going. Um, but I'm kind of terrified because all I, like when I think of a march, when I think of like a protest, the first thing I think of is like tear gas and like, we're gonna be arrested and like, you know, uh, you know, just like horror, like all these images in my mind. Um, and then the other thing was like, how, like, what exactly happens at a march? Like, do you march? Like, what if you don't keep up with the people in the march? And like, what if you have to pee? Like, is it like a drum line thing? And like, you'll lose your place and like. It was in D.C. and uh, how was I going to get there? And what if, like, what if, like, what if I got stuck down there? And like, I don't know. The whole thing was just like so overwhelming and just like too many things to think about. So I didn't really think about it. And then my best friend from high school, um, who uh, still lives in Philly uh, and works at Haverford College, said that the college, which is also a very small liberal college, um, was the college was arranging uh, buses to go down to the march. So you just had to show up at Haverford pay 25 bucks, they were gonna do a round trip with the bus, maybe give you some snacks, and so all the logistics were taken care of. Um, and then in addition, uh, a friend of mine from Los Angeles was flying in um, for the march, and um, she grew up in Los Angeles, she's an Iranian-American, she grew up in Los Angeles um, going to protest with her parents all the time, like protest pro. So I was like, all right, I got my logistics in, 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 in order. Um, the thing that I was most worried about after that was my father. So, um, so Halford College was like 10 minutes from where I grew up. I knew I could uh, take the train to Philly with my kid at the time, who was one, drop her off with the grandparents and go to the march. However, one catch. My dad is and has always been a don't touch my money, pro-Israel Republican. And, um, like so crazy that we have money buried in our backyard, you guys. <laughs> For reals, okay. Gold, actually, gold and silver because hold it, you can't buy a loaf of bread with gold. <laughs> As if we live in a shell. <laughs> and like I'm gonna need to like take a loaf of bread and like run for it. I don't know. Anyway, I guess if the apocalypse comes, we'll we'll have money for bread. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Um, now, my father and I 
have never seen eye to eye on basically anything, and um, especially on politics. Um, he always called me a bleeding heart liberal, which I thought was funny. I was like, oh, do you mean I have emotions and care for other people? Yes, yes, I do. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, I am not a good person to have a political conversation with. I do not hold my composure. Um, I do not have, like, uh, facts at my fingertips. Um, I do not speak eloquently. I, I am not trying to communicate with the other person. I basically just, like, see red um, and just, like, fuck! Like, just like, anger words come out of my face. A um, couple examples of this. One time we were... Um, it was Thanksgiving, my sister was watching uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, and I heard my father mutter under his breath, that's disgusting. And I was like, I'm sorry, what, what now did you say? Um, and he said, well, I just don't, I don't understand why they have to parade around like that. I think it's disgusting. And I go, you're fucking disgusting. <laughs> and then left the room. <laughs> Good argument, Deva. Um, <laughs> Way to get in there with, um, you know, reason and logic. Um, at which point later on, he was like, I'm your father. I know, you know, you need to treat me with respect. Which I disagree. Respect is earned. But anywho. <laughs> Another instance of this was I was pregnant, vis like visibly pregnant. And we're sitting at some family function. And again, it was something about, and I, I think my father's gotten worse. I really do. But, I, but he's such a homophobe now. And, um. We were sitting talking about, it was the, the thing that happened with the people in North Carolina who were like, we're not going to make your pizza for your wedding, because that, th yeah. And then there was like, yeah, I'm not, again, not with the facts, not good. Uh, not very good with the facts, but I'm just like, those people! Um, so my father was trying to tell me, like, well, it's a private business, and, 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 you know, they could do whatever they want. And I was like, well, what if they were anti-Semitic? And he's like, well, then Jews just wanted to eat there, and they would go out of business. And, um, and then I just got, was getting so worked up, and my husband is nudging me under the table, is nudging me under the table. And then finally I go, you're a fucking idiot! And I left the room. <laughs> Again, not, not good with words. Um, and my husband got so mad at me, because he's pregnant, you shouldn't be like, you should not be engaging in this conversation. So you're getting worked up, you know, and um, so from then on, I was just like, okay, like, we're just not going to talk about politics, like ever, ever, ever again, we're just not going to talk about politics. So here I am, I call my dad, I tell him I'm coming in, I'm going to go to this march, you're going to hang out with my kid, and it's going to be great. And he was like, okay. Um... You know, and I go home, and per usual, Fox News is blaring in the background, you know, at all hours, and I'm just, oopsies, hi. And uh, I said hi to the black date, by the way. And I'm just trying to knuckle through it, you know, because even though I'm not going to just, it's his house, he can watch Fox News, that's fine. Um, you know, I get him to turn it off at some point, because I'm like, can my kid watch Sesame Street? Thanks. Um, but, you know, it's his house, and we're making our protest posters, and on the kitchen table, my, my friends and I, and... You know, what I really want to write is like, fuck you, you piece of shit, orange fucker, you know, like, impeach, you know, whatever. I don't know, I'm just like, I, I just like, like, fill the But instead I write, women's rights are human rights, okay? Can't deny that, right? Even my father can't deny that. My father is, you know, 
wants me to be a doctor, wanted me to be a doctor. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, the whole time he's not saying anything, and um, I'm really nervous about it. And then my friends leave, and the next day, I have to get to have for college at 5.45. And it's late at night, everyone's asleep. Um, my father is downstairs, he comes to like get a little midnight snack or whatever, and I'm down there. And he's like, do you want me to drive you tomorrow? And I was like, oh, that's cool, like I'll just borrow, I'll just borrow my sister's car and I'll just park there and it'll be fine. He's like, no, no, I'll drive you, I'll drive you and I'll pick you up, it'll be easier that way. He's like, okay. And 5.45 that morning, you know, we get up and uh, he's got a coffee that he's made for me. Uh, in a to-go cup, and he drops me off, we kind of drive there in silence, and all he says to me is, be safe. And uh, the Mimmons March was amazing. There was no tear gas, uh, there were no arrests. Uh, it was, you know, the kindest, most inspiring group of people I've ever been among. Um, it, there was no actual uh, keeping up with marching. I, you know, there was a lot of standing around trying to figure out what was happening, and then finally moving towards the Capitol. Um, I was able to pee freely, uh, without concern, in a porta potty, not my pants. Anyway, so, um, and, uh, and, uh, and, then he, and then, you know, he picked me up at the end of the night and he said, how was it? And I said, inspiring. And that was kind of the end. And um, I have to say, I didn't really get closure on this until 3 p.m. today. <laughs> and I'm looking over my notes from a story, and uh, I texted him, and I said, what did you ever think about me going to the Women's March last year? Just, I'm just curious. And he calls me, because, you know, parents don't text. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I, I supported you. And I was like, yeah, no, I, you did. You were, you were super supportive. You were great. And he's like, well, I'll always support you. You know, I, um, I'm your father, and I know we don't see eye to eye, but I love you, and I support you, and, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you. And I was like, okay. Um, but you know, it wasn't just like a women's march. It was like an anti. He's like, I'm not an idiot, Dave. And I was like, okay. <laughs> to a, a pro-Trump rally. And he's like, well, it's different. You know, you're my kid. And then I thought to myself, and um, I have to say, my daughter's two, but if she ever grows up um, and she wants me to drive her to the equivalent of a pro-Trump rally, um, I, I, I am a lesser human because I will not be taken. <laughs> I'm curious to see how her dad feels this year if she goes back to the Women's March. Did you go? I did. I went here in New York. Did you? No. Here's what happened. Crazy story. So for the election, I was in Florida visiting my grandfather. Mm -hmm. He was uh, in hospice care. Yeah. And so we missed the election here. And then for the Women's March, mm -hmm. I was back there for his funeral. Oh. My grandfather oh. was a very serious Trump supporter as well so it was just like whoa grandpa's last stand it was, oh my it was god so dark Such seriously <laughs> oh my god but uh are they do you, are they doing it again oh so, yeah for sure oh, oh awesome. yeah they're all over i've gotten a million emails about it already Fantastic. yeah you should go i think you'll be really inspired we should put together like a yums thing and go Ooh, that'd be fun that'd be great yeah let's do it 
Um, anyway, you can find Deva on Instagram and Twitter at Prego in Park Slope. Yeah. That's a great handle. It is. I know. It is. I bet Park Slope Preggers was already taken. Oh, yeah. Right. I'm, how many derivations of that? Are yeah, there? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so many. So many. But she got a good one. Um, all right. Next up is a little bit more from Auntie and the funny way she lets out her aggression about Trump. Your mother couldn't stand his hands when he was running. She would call me and say, I can't stand his hands. I got to tell you a funny story. Every time his picture's in the Hartford Current, my, my wonderful newspaper that I worked, I worked for them. Every time his picture's in the paper, I take my pen and I write bad words, every word that I've just said now, over his face. You do? So I get all my aggressions out. That's awesome. And I write, do you have any of those here? Sure. Today's pa- No, his picture hasn't been in. Uh, well, no. We'll see. So I was over at your father's house one day, and um, I get it out. I call him an egotist, a malignant, narcissistic, you goddamn fucking asshole, you baby on third grade didn't get your swing, what the hell, I, fuck you, you should hear what I write. I've never heard you say, oh. I've maybe heard you say I really don't word. use that word, I don't want the word friggin', but I, he's made me so angry this year. Yeah. I write it so I can't look at his face, but one day I said to your father, I hope the recycling people don't know that that's my paper and I don't want anyone to know that I'm doing that. And he said, no, but Secret Service will probably call you up. <laughs> I got his step, but that was funny. Oh my God, I kind of want to hear Auntie swearing like that all the time. I mean, this is the best. I've never, in her 76 years, I mean, I haven't been around for 76 years, but I've never, ever heard her talk like that it's kind of awesome it's yeah it's like part awesome and part terrifying yeah completely i think that what we should do is set the text tones on your phone to like her swearing so when you get a text it's just like fucking little hands (laughs) goddamn small hands that'd be amazing if that came through in your pocket in in the middle of a meeting goddamn small hands take that fucking tweet thing away from him Excuse me, I'm just going to take this. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, so she really, like when I said at the top, she was in rare form. Like, I truly, in all of my life, have never heard her like that. It's it's pretty awesome. But yes, it is completely terrifying. And the worse he gets, I'm really afraid. And also a little bit delighted to hear what she's going to say. Um, so the clip that you just heard <clears throat> and the one at the top were featured in my annual Oi to the World video with Auntie. I asked her which events made her say oy vey over the course of the year. And even though it is the new year, um, you might want to check it out from last year because it really, it, it really, uh, I think, brilliantly captured the year, certainly through, through Auntie's eyes and I think a lot of our eyes. You can watch that video on our Facebook page at Yum's Word Show or on our YouTube channel at Yum's Word Show. And she and I have been doing that for years, and this is hands down the funniest one we've ever oh, yeah. made. Yeah. Well, Oy to the World is my favorite annual recap oh really like oh it beats the hell out of ryan seacrest like totally thank you that makes me feel good makes it worthwhile (laughs) all right next up is sopan deb sopan is a culture writer for the new york times who writes about the intersection of politics and culture among other topics before he joined the times he was embedded with the trump campaign for cbs news from start to finish and he covered hundreds of rallies in more than 40 states for a year and a half. So you know this man has good stories. And he was nice enough to come tell one of those stories at our show. This is his story about the most unexpected way he connected with his dad when covering the Trump campaign. Um, so I've never been close to my dad. Um, 
Hang with me, this gets funny. Um, I, I've never been close to my dad. He was born in India. Uh, we, uh, for various cultural and generational reasons, we were just never close growing up. Um, he uh, had an arranged marriage to my mom. It was a bad marriage. I got divorced after 30 years. But growing up, he just didn't know anything about me. So for example, like when I was growing up, uh, I loved baseball and basketball. Like he didn't know what those two things were. And like, I would play Little League, and I would strike out often. And the thing about being Indian is that you're not athletic. And the thing is, like my dad would see me striking out, and he would be like, oh, that's my boy. Because he would just think that that's what you're supposed to do. Like that's, that's what we were dealing with here. And that kind of um, translated to my professional life. Um, uh, eventually, my dad moved back to India when I was in college. But you know, when I was in college, I became, you know, decided to you know become a journalist, and that's what I ended up doing. And so, uh, you know, after college, you know, I worked at um, NBC and then Al Jazeera. And my dad never quite knew what I did, what that meant, being a TV journalist. And like, well, what, what does that mean? Are you on TV? Well, sometimes, but like, well, he never quite got. It. And then I eventually uh, found my way to CBS, where I got this uh, job of being a campaign reporter, and uh, I got assigned four candidates. Uh, Marco Rubio, uh, Rand Paul, uh, Lindsey Graham, and they said, well, you're going to be so busy with those other three candidates, here's one more, uh, Donald Trump. And I was like, well, that's, I'm never going to talk, talk about that guy again. Uh. And so, uh, and then very quickly that changed. Uh, within uh, about a month of his announcing his candidacy, I was part of a small group of reporters between about five, or five and ten that covered his campaign from start to finish. And um, it was a, a remarkable experience. Uh, I went to more than 40 states with Trump, hundreds and hundreds of rallies. He actually um, tweeted at me multiple times. He said that I was... Um, third-rate, uh, dishonest, and said I should be fired for incompetence. Uh, but it's, uh, it's been a year since the election, and as I reflect on it, I, I think he was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't kidding. Uh, anyway, uh, but, you know, uh, it was a remarkable experience because the Trump rallies were really unlike anything you will ever see in your life. Um, people would line up at Trump rallies the night before. They would camp out outside the arena to make sure they got a good seat, right? And then, and then people, they were like political rock concerts. They were at these big basketball arenas or football stadiums or places that thousands and thousands of people would come and they would come dressed as Trump. And, you know, there would be babies dressed as Trump. Trump himself would bring the babies on stage and hold them up as if they're Simba from Lion King. It was like really something else. And then Trump would come out, he'd have no teleprompter and he would just riff for a while, like a stand-up comedian, man. He would come out and he'd read the read the crowd, and he would say, we're going to build a wall, and it would be like Springsteen hitting the first notes to Born to Run. I mean, it was really something. The crowd would go nuts. There would be tears, tears coming down people's faces. And with that also came a lot of protesters, right? And, and protesters, uh, you know, they would come with signs, or they'd chant, and they'd interrupt his speeches, and then Trump would yell back at them. He would, he one time in Iowa, he, he said, I will pay the legal bills of anybody that punches these protesters in the face. And he'd always, you know, he'd say, you know, he'd say things like, you know, been the good old days, 
you know, these, these protesters would be carried out on stretchers and you know, that kind of stuff. It was, it became kind of part of the game in some level. You know, the protesters would come, they'd have their say, they'd be escorted out, Trump would do his thing, his supporters would cheer, and then he'd go back to talking about whatever he was talking about. Until uh, March, when we were in Chicago, and Trump decides that he's going to do a rally in Chicago. And downtown Chicago, at this college campus, at this big basketball game there. And it was always a, an odd choice, because, because you know, liberal, liberals kind of typically, you know, a lot of them, it, urban areas are typically kind of liberal havens, or not typically Trump's base. And so protests were planned for weeks. And as soon as we got, the press corps got to this uh, basketball arena, you could already tell something was kind of wrong. Something was already kind of weird in the air. There were hundreds and hundreds of protesters in the air, in, in the arena, and thousands of protesters outside on the streets. And it felt more aggressive than usual. Uh, the protesters were yelling at, at, at the Trump supporters and vice versa. It just felt odd. And at about 10 minutes before um, the rally is supposed to start, we hear an announcement. And the announcement is, uh, Mr. Trump apologizes, he's decided to cancel the rally for safety purposes. And almost immediately, pandemonium breaks out, okay? Uh, unlike anything I've ever seen. It was, people are uh, throwing punches, hundred, you know, in the arena there are thousands of people making a bum rush for the, you know, for the exits. People are pushing and shoving and calling each other's names, there, there are punches being thrown. And this, this flows out to the street where there are already thousands of people protesting. And I'm out there with my camera, and I'm shooting. I, you know, the first thing you do when you're a journalist in the situation, you kind of have this like muscle that ticks on, and, and you're suddenly okay. I've, I've got to do my job, and I've got to shoot as much as possible. I've got to get as much information about what is happening. And and so and so at some point, out of nowhere, um, out of, Chicago police grab me from behind, throw me to the ground, put a boot to my neck, and arrest me. And they charge me with resisting arrest, and they lead me to the van. And my camera is still rolling, and I, 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 I and you can hear me on, on the audio very clearly. Excuse me, sir. Hi, I'm a journalist. Why did you just arrest me? What's what's going What's going on? And they don't answer me. They just kind of throw me in the van, and that that's what happens. Um, a couple days later, it turns out that Fox News ran my arrest live on their network. Like Greta, Greta Van Susser was the anchor, and that's how a lot of people found out that I was arrested. People were watching the TV, and she didn't know that I was a journalist. People that didn't know me didn't know I was a journalist. People were watching the TV and being like, hey, I know that guy. That guy, oh my god. And it ended up, that ended up saving my life because Fox News, that the, the feed that Fox News showed clearly showed that I wasn't resisting arrest. And I'm fairly certain that if Fox News knew that that video was going to save my life, they wouldn't have ran the uh, footage. <laughs> Um, um, but anyway, back to the night of. And so this happened, um, and for a couple hours I'm in jail, and at this point, the story takes on a life of its own. People find out that I've been arrested, and it kind of spreads like wildfire. You know, and, and people um, want to write about it, and, and anyway. So after a couple hours, I get out of jail, and my phone has just kept blowing up. Literally thousands of emails and text messages and missed calls. People trying to get a hold of me, trying to find out if I'm okay. And I was fine. I tell my bosses what had happened. I I I I see that you know on Twitter, for example, there's a lot of traffic about me, but I don't want to see any of it. I'm tired. There's like a cut on my chin, and and I just want to go to bed. So I go back to my hotel room and I I just tell I just conk out. What I forgot to do 
was tell my family what had happened. I was like, I think I'll get to it in the morning. You know, my dad's in India, my mom doesn't know how to use a computer. Like, it's fine. There's no way. Don't worry about it. Anyway, so I go to bed, and the next morning, my dad calls me. Now, he calls me about once a month, and this is about the time of, year, of, of the month that he calls. And he calls me, and I pick up the phone, and I'm like, I'm thinking it's a check. He goes, he goes, he goes, what happened? I go, oh, dad, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I was in Chicago, and this, uh, hey, wait a minute, uh, you live in India. How, how do you know what happened? He goes, you're in every newspaper in India. My son's a star. <laughs> and that's the first time my dad ever figured out what the hell I do with my life. Thank you. That was Sopan Deb. Sopan is also a stand-up comic here in New York City, and you can follow him on Twitter at Sopan Deb and on Instagram at Soap07. Okay, as you may know, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus from the live show, but you can find out when our next show is by signing up for our mailing list at yumsofwordshow.com slash guest list, or just follow us on any of the socials at yumsofwordshow. You can also check out some of our past stories on previous podcast episodes or on our YouTube channel at yumsofwordshow, and those stories go all the way back to 2012. That's like five years worth of stories. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of stories. Also, if you enjoy what you hear on our podcast, please share it with others and be sure to give us a quick rating and review on iTunes. It helps us so, so much and it also lets others know about it. So I hope you're having a great new year. I hope you're sticking to your New Year's resolutions and I wish everyone a very, very happy Women's March this weekend. The stories you just heard were recorded live at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City. The podcast is produced by me, Robin Gelfenbein, and Alex Fulton. James Beer wrote our new music, and the theme song is by Mark Radcliffe. Special thanks to Megan Deneen, Michael Cedar, Danny Ortiz, Carly Patron, Jen Waring, Zach Schusterman, and Katie Riley. I'm Robin Gelfenbein. I'm Alex Fulton. Thanks for listening. Hope you get a piece. And until next time. I would write right out of his goddamn small hand. (laughs) Yum's the word.